welcome to Co-Produce Care. Today we have with us Kat Duncan-Reese. Uh, Kat is a co-production guru. She's worked on advising organisations about co-production across the country. So, welcome Kat. Hello. Hello. Um, now, there's so much stuff you're doing around co-production, I don't even know where to start. But, a good place to start might be how you got into doing this work. I kind of stumbled into co-production, I think. Uh, long time before we were even using the word so um I, my background is actually social policy okay um that's what i studied at university at that time i hadn't realized significance until fairly recently i did quite a lot of work while i was uh, doing my social policy degree with a um Disability Rights Group in Middlesbrough, at Teesside University. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, and I ended up writing my, my entire dissertation around access and accessibility and yeah. working with these people and working with um, one of the day services up there, which was at that time, which is a long time ago, quite progressive. Um, and then from there, I ended up working in the voluntary sector. Um, so I worked with a charity called Stockport Civil Palsy Society um, as a short breaks advisor, whatever that means. Short breaks that are short. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I very quickly learned because it was my, I was probably late 20s by then, so it was my first like proper job mm. um, and uh, I've all, always had a natural kind of tendency to not necessarily do things the way that I'm told to do them. <laughs> Is perfect. Or to do the things that people expect you to do mm. in those particular jobs. Yeah. Um, but I never really thought about it. I just That's just who I am and that's just how I do things. So I'd often find myself being challenged on things and, and then having to replay and think, why, why did that happen? Why, why did I end up in that situation? Why did I have that conversation yeah. about that, that piece of work? Um, why did I nearly get sacked again then? <laughs> Just challenging, yeah, people, isn't it? yeah. Um, so I, because I studied at university and I didn't know before I became a mature student um, mm. anything about like the, the disabled people's movement, yeah, about yeah. Um, people led organizations, yeah. um, and then I was learning all about all of this, and that's where I kind of got my not frustration, but I started thinking about well, this is all mm. very amazing history. But I don't really see any of it represented in how we do care at the moment. So yes. did, you, did you have that kind of thing where you're going from like learning about it and then going yes. into practice and finding a massive disconnect? Yes, I, I think yes, I think so. I mean, obviously, studying something at university is very different to to what you experience in real life. And I've I've never qualified to do social work or anything specifically like that. I, I thought about it for a nanosecond and then decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Yeah. But from working in uh, a few years in the voluntary sector, I kind of then stumbled into the job that I did at Stockport Council, um, where I ended up doing. Uh, policy work, writing commissioning strategies, okay. all that kind of stuff. But um, again, very early on, I kind of, I had to, um, it wasn't particularly an area of expertise, so I had to do things in a way that made sense to me. Mm. And I think part of that was actually, if I'm going to write a, uh, a business plan or a commissioning strategy, or, you know, I'm not going to just sit in a darkened room and write it, mm. I want to get out there and know what people really think or what it is they really want from this um, and I had the privilege very early in my days in, in Stockport working with a guy who um, 
used quite a lot of pinpoint facilitation stuff and the kit and you know creating space where you, you would get people into a room predominantly around learning disabilities at that time because it was kind of coincided I think with um was it putting people first yes, and all that yeah. kind of stuff um and um I was just in awe of what this guy did <laughs> and how he worked and uh we were actually then asked to write myself and another colleague um commissioning strategy for day services for adults of a working age but we were asked to write it in response to some complaints that we'd had from uh, carers whose adult children they were concerned about whether they were going to be safe or not because they kind of got it into their heads that all the day centres were going to be shut and their adult children were going to be thrown out onto the streets and there'd be no nowhere safe for them to be um and so um, I said, well, that's fine. Well, I'm happy to pick up the work. I'm happy to, you know, write this commissioning strategy. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and have conversations with all the different cohorts of people, if you like. Mm. Um, entirely making it up as I go along. <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. But it just kind of made sense to go and speak with the commissioners, speak with the um, service providers, speak yeah. with the people who, you know, access those day centres themselves away from their parents or carers to speak with the carers themselves and I think what was really interesting about that as a as a process was um it's kind of counterintuitive to co-production to work like that but what we needed to do was establish a baseline um and so we learned very quickly through doing that that actually all those different groups of people really wanted the same thing mm-hmm. but at that stage had we put them in a room together they would have tried to convince each other that they didn't want the same thing. So in particular, the um, the carers that had, had complained at that time, and out of genuine concern for their, you know, loved ones, it wasn't, you know, that it it's it's a very difficult um, place to be for people. I recognise that, you know, when you when you are caring for somebody, you want to know in your heart that they're they're safe and they're in a place that you're confident for them to to be in. And when that's kind of taken away from you, that causes all sorts of anxiety. Mm-hmm. But actually what we what we did was create a space where we had, you know, 16 other carers in the room with, with those, you know, three or four people who were concerned and had a very open conversation, uh, facilitated conversation about what was working for them in terms of the daytime support that their um, adult children were getting, what wasn't working and the kinds of ideas that they had for the future in terms of how they wanted things to happen. And within the space of two hours... Um, it was evident that these four um, carers who'd, who'd kind of got together to, to, to complain had said everything that they needed to say. Um, but when we got to the point in the process where we'd get people to vote on what the priorities are moving forward, their views weren't top of the list and that they were actually, there were other people in the room that didn't feel as strongly as they did about what the future should look like. Um, and it was a turning point you know, not just in terms of the, the, the journey that we then went on to do further develop the commissioning strategy, but in terms of, you know, some of the thinking around how we have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, sometimes we we uh, either avoid the conflict situations or we just label people as troublemakers or, yeah. you know, difficult without actually stopping to understand mm-hmm. what the bigger picture is. Yeah. I want to go back to you talking about like power yeah I feel like in what you were saying because you had 
you had a lot of people in the room. You were then listening to people who were receiving the services, which mm. totally makes sense. Yeah. And then when it came to making decisions, their views were top of the list. It sounds yeah. crazy, but you've gone through all of that process. Yeah. And um, yeah. then you haven't actually followed what you've asked them to do. You know, you said you yeah. might be able to do or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you haven't yeah. followed their views. So, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say strongly. So for 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 this particular cohort of people, there was one option, mm. and it was day centres and actually what we were proposing was well I suppose you've got what you've got is you've got commissioners on one extreme at that point in time which was let's close all the day centres because everybody should be out in the community and then the other extreme was you know you've got um, parent carers who are like sends the fear of God into people it's like what do you mean close all the day centres you know what does that mean for me in terms of the responsibility that then I have to you know care for my um, son or daughter Um, but also what does it mean for them in terms of their safety Um, and actually then you've got the people um, and the service providers in in the middle of all that Um, and when we spoke to those adults who were in the day services as they were at the time um, about what they wanted to do you know they were like but I don't want to be here all the time you know so that even you know within that kind of that the the play out of power is is really really interesting when you're talking about co-production because it's not necessarily that you know we want to give all the power to one group of people or we want to share it and we want to hear you know what's important to everybody within that so where we got to in terms of the day services work was um you know a situation where we understood that there was a need for some kind of hub approach mm-hmm. and that we needed to explore ways that people could um go off and do different things um but there was still that reassurance of somewhere for for people to come back to if, if they needed to and I'm not saying that you know all those years ago when we got to the end of that process it actually took us 18 months to write the strategy because we kept going back to people and 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 checking in but I think what was really interesting learning before the word co-production even came into the you know local authority vocabulary was this whole idea that when you start those conversations with people you don't have to finish the the written strategy or document you know dot all the i's cross all the t's whatever before people can start to actually change or develop things so we were working with you know in particular um service providers um who who got it instantly Mm. and from you know day one of having those conversations about what was working what wasn't working and how do we move things forward started to look at the way that they were doing things and to do that with the people who we were engaging with in terms of the process overall. Yeah. So by the end of 18 months, there had been, not only had we got a commissioning strategy, which probably nearly 10 years on actually, is still referred to as a you know long-term vision for what, what they wanted to achieve, mm-hmm. um, you actually had a significant shift in terms of what was happening right. on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So my understanding the way that kind of translated into my understanding of co-production over the years is actually we spend an awful lot of time and energy on you know program managers lots of money writing business cases commissioning strategies highlight reports all those other things and trying to get everything perfect on paper and in policy and then wonder why it doesn't actually have the traction or work in the way that we want it to because we haven't gone back to people to say, is this actually what you want? Yeah. 
Yeah. If I'm watching this now, I'm commissioner, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that sounds really nice, Kat, but how do I do this now in my job? Yeah. In reality, I've got um, financial issues. I've got things that we contractually can't do, time yeah. restraints. Yeah. It all sounds lovely, but in reality, I can't do it. I'm restricted. But do you get those uh, instances where people say, yeah, I can't, I can't do that because oh, it's too expensive? All, all the time, yeah. you know. I mean, and it, it's actually not just the, the money side of it, you know, it's just the whole kind of um, amount of effort and energy that people perceive that it takes. Yeah. But actually, um, you know, if you think about it, if you think about co-production in terms of um, relationships and connections, um, rather than a set of tasks that you have to follow in order to get a particular results you know we've had years of consultation and engagement and you know ask this these questions and this questionnaire and this focus group and that focus group and you know if you follow these set of tasks then you'll get the answers that you want or not and you'll do what you want anyway at the end of it so you know why why bother um co-production for me and you know particularly the work that we've been doing with the national co-production advisory group over the last couple of years is, is very relational um, and I often relate it back to you know just just life you know, for the minute I get out of bed in the morning um, and you know negotiate with my darling little children <laughs> over breakfast and you know all sorts of other things they're all the skills and all the things that I would expect people to bring into you know a, a relationship around co-production the problem is people turn up to work and they leave an element of themselves at the door and the person that they become when they enter into the work environment and I generalize wildly um, is almost not human yeah. and so we have um, reduced people who work in health and social care to um, almost like robots that follow a set of rules and procedures and you know systems and they're waiting for the magic answer or the magic formula that is, you know, co-production. Maybe a co-production fairy. Sprinkle some co-production magic <laughs> and dust. And, yeah. uh, one day they'll wake up and everything will be beautifully personalised and co-produced. Yeah. And um, the effort and the energy that is going into writing those policies and procedures and business cases, I might have mentioned this already once before, is 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 huge and the amount of money. When actually, if people were had permission to invest that same amount of energy and you know resource into just building relationships and connections with each other within the workplace, and um, with other departments within the workplace, with those service providers that they're working with, and you know just as importantly, the people who are accessing those services, and then take it a step further to the wider kind of community and you know the places where people actually live their their lives day to day then i think what we would begin to see is something very very different hugely so yeah. you know co-production is at, at the end at it's very essence that that whole thing around human to human connection and you know there, there has been I've, I've noticed on social media over the last even just the last few weeks there's been you know more stuff coming out about being more human or you know be human and and actually, the work that we've been doing in, in uh, with the Co-Production Advisory Group has been, you know, experimenting with that, 
probably for you know three years and I would say a lot of the way that that I've worked and the the you know the privilege that I've had to work with so many amazing people who've allowed me to kind of just experiment and and do things you know the amount of trust I think people have, have um, put in me over the years is it's quite um, challenging. It's hard to think about, I think, because um, I wouldn't be able to be here now having this conversation if it wasn't for the fact that people have just said, you know what, we don't honestly really know where she's going with this, mm. but we just know from experience that it's it will go somewhere. And that something will change. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of um, what you just said about building those relationships mm. and how it starts with the immediate people that you're working with and then working it out to the community and uh, thinking of it less like, you know, I suppose when you're making widgets or something, as usually my, my usual is like, yeah, it's very yeah. easy to say, yeah. we've taken it from classic MBA, yeah. um, business degree, you yeah. said you need business plan, you need marketing plan, you need all of these processes and procedures, and then once you follow this, then everything will work right, you know, the classic four-way production, and (laughs) fitting that into the care sector, it doesn't work, (laughs) it doesn't work, because you're dealing with people, and all of their connections, so hearing you say that, and hearing that what you're saying is for anybody who wants to connect with you, um, going to those commissioners and trying to help people unpick some of the issues that they have. I think it's just brilliant conversations to have, really. Yeah. Because some people, I think, are just stuck into these systems. They think, well, how do we think outside it? Surely we can't have a relationship with providers because we have to keep our distance. Or, you know, it's, it's how you develop those relationships, I suppose. Yeah, and actually that that's a really interesting point because... You know, we we say that we have to keep our um, distance, and we talk a lot about conflicts of interest, mm. and you know all those kind of things. But actually, keeping the distance is what is causing a lot of the problems in, in the system. Because actually, unless you can have those honest human to human conversations about what you're trying to change, you're leaving people in a space where they're making a lot of assumptions, or they're blindly following processes and procedures, mm. or um, and some of the work that I've been involved with in, in Dudley around kind of domiciliary care and uh, you know the kind of wider conversations that we're having there, you have um, that that rift between commissioner and, and provider where the providers can see that the way that they're having to do things is not helping people live the life that they want to live because the, the process here isn't flexible um and they're you know so, so there's a lot and there's a lot of assumptions then made in the middle about actually what bits of that can be changed and what what do the providers have the power to to do differently um you know what are the rules that we follow on a day-to-day basis in terms of supporting people that don't make sense um you know why why when i get a support plan from from the local authority about an individual can I then not, um, you know, change the way that I work with that individual because actually what they're telling me that what they want is actually different to what the person at the um, assessment end has determined for that, that person. That's a really good point, actually. It's not just about assessment, about change, the way you're able to change uh, mm. support that you provide to somebody. Because I know 
<clears throat> where I've seen instances where someone has come to us and said, we want to change us, or we need more support. And the levels of bureaucracy you have to go through to change that support for someone, and it takes time. And then they need more support, and then you want to make sure that you're going to be able to pay the staff to deliver that support. And that is prolonged. So the person that suffers at the other end is the person who needs the support. Yeah. It's like a catch-22 situation, but could be changed if there was better dialogue. Yeah, better relationships. Better relationships. <laughs> and connection. I know. I'm just like, and you know people will often uh, say oh yeah but it's too difficult take too much time it's too expensive yeah. um actually do you know what it's no more difficult than uh getting a box of decent biscuits <laughs> and having a conversation yeah. about what really matters yeah. and actually understanding you know what's what's stopping people being able to live the life that they want to live yeah. and, and working back on, on picking some of that. How important do you think is leadership in all of this? Hugely important. Yeah. But I think not necessarily in the way that we would understand um, you know, leadership. I think it's... Um, so I see some really good examples you know, when, when I'm on the road uh, doing what I do uh, in, independently and I'm thinking particularly in terms of the work we're doing in, in Shropshire is actually you, you cannot teach people to be good leaders. Mm. Um, you can work with people um, who are in that space, I guess, or who have got themselves in that space. So, um, you know, I think of some of the conversations and some of the events that we've done in, in Shropshire and, you know, the way that the, the, the directors of social care there have um, really taken the time to think about how the way that they lead is having a, a knock-on effect mm. and, and, and having an impact on the people that they're ultimately trying to support. And recognising that they do things and that they make decisions about things because it's their job. Right. But then realising that actually some of those decisions that they are making, because of the relationships that they've then built up with the people on the, you know, who, who receive direct payments and what have you, have come back and said, what the hell did you just do that for? You know, why didn't you come and ask us what, what we thought about that? And having the... the um, the ability just to put themselves in that vulnerable space and say, do you know what? I don't know. It's a really stupid thing to do, yeah. and you're right. Let's stop and think about what we could have done differently mm. and how we move things forward. And so for me, I think particularly in terms of co-production, it is how do we um, give leaders permission to admit when they've copped things up mm. or... Um, to reflect honestly on, on some of the things that they've done um, and really think about how they could have done things differently. Okay, so if you can't teach uh, the good leadership that you need to have, yeah. and if you have leaders already who just don't get it, yeah. are you saying that we just need to teach them to reflect or do we need to, do those leaders need to be in a yeah. different job? <laughs> Some probably yeah. need to be in a different job yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or not there at all. But actually, I think um, everybody has that opportunity. 
Um, you know, and I, I just, I'm, my mind is blown time and time again when I'm in a room of, you know, 20, 30, 40, maybe 100 people, and we've gone through a process of, uh, of, of asking questions, you know, just really simple things like, what was it that motivated you to get out of bed this morning? And getting people to kind of capture those things on, on cards and, and visualise it and then, you know, reflect back with people and say, actually, do you know what, our lives are just normal everyday, you know, things that motivate us are, are normal everyday things. Um, and I think we get, again, we lose sight of some of that as we come into the kind of um, work, workplace, if you like, mm-hmm. and it all becomes, you know, we, we forget that actually what really motivates us is our family. You know, going taking the dog out for a walk in the morning, getting off that early morning run. Yeah, <laughs> which may or may not happen. Uh, whatever it is, you know, yeah. you're, you're into that cup of tea that you have first thing in the morning, yeah. or whatever. That actually, you know, that's that's life and that's living life. Um, and we've gone down that route of, you know, okay, well that's life, and this is the service that we work in. Um, and then we've tried to fit people's lives into into that kind of service area. Yeah. So it, it's simple things like that. And then also um, we've done a lot of creating space for um, people to really begin to feel for themselves what it's like. So I might say to you, think of a time when you've had a really positive experience of receiving information, support or advice about something really important to you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know about the situation. I want you to hold it in your mind and I want you to notice how it makes you feel. And then I want you to write down what those feelings are. Mm. And then I want you to think about what it is that contributes to those feelings or what, what happened in that situation that contributed to you feeling that way. Mm. So we're not even going to touch on what it was that, that actually happened. Um, we're we're going to think about how it made you feel and what contributed to you feeling that way. You do that again with a, a negative situation or a, a time when you've had a really bad experience of receiving information support advice. You don't talk about that situation I can see it in your face already the, yeah. the shift in you know uh, in, in mood almost we, we just ask people to hold it in their mind and notice how it makes them feel mm. and then to write down those feelings and then think about what it was that contributed to, the, to, to feeling that way and then a little bit of time to reflect on how it felt to do that as an activity um, and you know what that what that says about people that they're interacting with oh but not about the people but what that says about the relationships and the interactions that they have with people mm-hmm. in their service on a day-to-day basis so that's and the shift is you know often very significant and is that with service providers you with do? commissioners and with commissioners directors frontline workforce yeah. service yeah. providers yeah. you know absolutely everybody who's involved in you know wanting to look at how we work better to enable people to live the life they want um i think that's really insightful simply because i'm thinking of some safeguarding <coughs> that uh, i've been working with at the moment and um just allowing maybe a team of people who might be caught up in a bad situation to reflect on not just what we're doing mm-hmm. but how what we are doing affects the other person that's just and it actually okay it works for the person who the care worker then it works for the staff who the staff who are managing those other staff so managers because thinking about you know how are my demands for my staff team affecting my staff team and then how is that ripple effect 
affecting how that they provide care. And then going back and working back to commissioners and saying, well, how is the commissioning behaviour affecting how providers operate and what demands they give to their managers? And those then trickle all the way down. So again, it's about that relationship, but starting from, well, how are my behaviours affecting yes. people I'm working with? Absolutely. And and how and, and then what does it feel like? Mm. You know, and at that point you can you can begin to say to people, actually, if you're working in a in a way that is co-produced, then actually what you're doing is you're realizing much more of those positive feelings mm. because you're exhibiting much more of those behaviours that, that contribute to those positive feelings. You know, and, and often people when they've had a bad experience um, you know, they, they come into a room or a situation and, you know, like being here, just the cameras in the room can trigger a, a whole load of anxiety for somebody um, and it's nothing to do with you or anybody else in the room, it's the environment or the situation that is causing the anxiety, but that might then have a knock-on effect in what you, you know, the way that you view me and, and the conversation that we're having and, uh, and then it just escalates. But you've already made those assumptions about somebody yeah. based on something else that has caused them to react in a, in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it just escalates. I had one social worker reflect back uh, in, a, in a workshop at the, at the end of that particular activity. I'd never thought to ask somebody how they were feeling. We always focus on dealing with the tangible situation. Mm-hmm. And actually, if we stop and take a step back and think, how are you feeling right now? And what can we do to change that? Then what we might do is something very different to actually addressing the issue that, that we're faced with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned safeguarding. So one story I heard recently from a, it's actually a theatre company in, in North Manchester. Um, and I'm going to see it next week. Is it next week or the week after? Rats in the Sofa is their Sounds production. Good. Yeah. So they've worked with people who have been on the receiving end of safeguarding. Um, you know, issues, incidents. Uh, and one story that stuck in my mind was um, a, a, an older lady whose next door neighbour came in to see her every day. Uh, but when she came in to see her, she took money from her. Mm. And clearly, you know, huge safeguarding issues there. But because of this piece of work and because of the conversations that they had with people to understand what really, really mattered to this woman, they were able to understand that just severing that relationship wasn't, you know, that wasn't going to be helpful. Because the the, the reflections of, of, you know, the lady were that if her neighbour didn't come in, she wouldn't see anybody. She knew that she was coming in and taking her money, but actually that was a small price to pay to have actual contact with another human being on a, on a daily basis mm. so the conversation then went from well we need to call the police and get this woman arrested to actually yes we do need to deal with that side of it but equally we need to you know address the need that or you know the loneliness in this woman that, that that's um fulfilling so just to yeah. deal with the the, the the safeguarding issue would have actually left this woman in a in a worse position. How did they know that? Was that from discussing? Through having conversations. and So this, so this is um, uh, a local authority in the north of the, the, the country who've actually done some, you know, it's a safeguarding board that have yes. commissioned this piece of work. Right. And actually they're learning through this piece of work that they're then reflecting back to people through using the kind of theatre, interactive 
theatre. So um, so another one was a was a chap who um, likes to give money when he's out and about to people who are homeless or obviously in, in need. And of course, the immediate thing is, well, he's been exploited by those people. You know, they're, they're making him give him their money and that's not good. We need to stop him from doing it. And when they sat down and explored that with him as part of the conversations that they were having about the actual production, they... Um, he was able to reflect back to them and say, actually, do you know what? When I give people money, it makes me feel good. Mm. So don't stop me from doing it, please, because that's something that's really important to me. But maybe let's have a conversation about how often I do it or how much money I give people and, and, and that kind of thing. You know, we, we just jump in with our own I assumptions think, about... Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a great example of how co-production can actually go through every bit of care. It's not just... Because when I think about co-production, sometimes I think co-productionism, I think, oh, well, it's maybe the care plan or yeah. maybe it's, um, I don't know, how we've built, how relationships with commissioners or within an organisation, but actually it's, mm. it's, it's so many different... It's just our relationships and how, how we make decisions yeah. with or yeah. for people. Yeah. It's quite, you know, it, it can permeate through everything. The word yeah. um, co-production isn't helpful, or is it? Um, I don't know, actually. I, I, I kind of... Word there. Word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go through phases where I think uh, it's, it's not helpful, and I go through phases where I think it is. And I kind of um, uh, I've got, I've, I sort of got to a point where I think if people understand that co-production is ultimately, you know, around the value and the social value and, you know, the value that we put on, you know, those care, caring relationships yeah. or those relationships that are necessary for people to be able to live the life they want to live, then actually it can be a useful word. Mm. But I think it's become one of those words that people just band about yeah. and, and they don't, you know, they, they don't stop and think about what it actually really means. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, co-production is actually only the tip of the iceberg. And you talk about that. Yeah. I read a blog about your iceberg. Not about it, but yeah. I did feature. Yeah. Can you talk about your iceberg? Would you need the picture? No, no, it's fine. Yes, let's talk icebergs. So this is a I this is a slide that I've seen presented. Actually, not by you, but it's here on your side. Yeah. Um, and it was referenced to you, so it's fine. And you had, I think it was co-production at the top and co-creation was at the bottom so you had the sea and then you had the tip of the iceberg was co-production yeah. so how did you make that slide did you like how did you come up with that so um some of the work that i've been involved with over the years um with uh look at exploring things like i don't know if you've come across the rapid testing work the 100 day challenge stuff that you know lots of different owners are doing um it, it actually came from an organization in the states but nestor have been um backing it and uh, the NHS have had quite an interest, uh, quite a strong interest in this, and um, so I did the trained as a coach, and I supported some of the kind of teams that, that work through the um, hundred day challenge process, which is really interesting in itself, actually, in terms of the relational element of what we're talking about. But at the end of uh, this particular round of um, te rapid testing, we were asked to draw an iceberg on a flip piece of flip chart paper yeah and you know put a line across and talk about the tangible things that we had achieved so the tip of the iceberg if you like what 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 was it tangible that had made the difference or improved the experience for people if you like mm. um in in this case it was elective care in in terms of nhs 
uh, world. And then we were asked to to focus on what's on the surface of the water. Mm. You know, what what was it that, that happened within your team, and you're talking teams of diverse people, so clinicians, consultants, GPs, practice managers, patients, uh, nurses, voluntary sector, a whole range of people who form these teams. What was it that happened under the surface of the water that enabled you to achieve those tangible things? And I thought, yes, great, at last, yeah. somebody's got it, they're understanding. That what what needs to happen here is that we need to focus on the conditions for change. And they then went on to say, because we want to scale the tip of the iceberg. I was just like, okay, you've just completely, you know, done this potentially really great activity with us, and then totally undermined your own kind of thinking, if you like. Mm. Because if you take the tip of the iceberg away from what's happened under the surface of the water then you are, it will just drift off or you're going to take it somewhere where the conditions are not right. So it got me thinking, okay, if I was going to kind of use that as an analogy or a way of describing co-production, mm. what would that look like? And actually for me, um, I started with that bit under the surface of the water, if you like, being co-production right. and the tip of the iceberg being those tangible things that, that happen. But over... Um, the last sort of year or so and through some of the work that I've done with an organisation uh, called People's Voice Media um, I and the conversation that I've had with Hayley which were really instrumental in, in shaping this realised that actually what we need to do is focus on how we co-create the right conditions in order that co-production happens so the tip of the iceberg becomes co-production mm. and you can't do co-production unless the conditions are right, unless the relationships are there, unless we have those human-to-human interactions, that we challenge each other, that we're willing to fail, make mistakes, mm. you know, test different ways of working, you know, have fun even. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Parts and of it. see the person, you know, it, it just shifts the whole kind of conversation and dynamic about what co-production is. And it just seemed to resonate and make sense. So as I've kind of talked about the iceberg in, in lots of different settings over the last few years, it, it's kind of iterated for me. Um, who knows what will happen next? <laughs> I think it should be you know, on the desk of every manager working yeah. in social care because sometimes you get, I mean, you talk about co-production and people mm. sometimes just use co-production and they don't really know what it is. And like a whole idea of what makes it, it is a co-creation mm-hmm. and sometimes that's kind of pushed aside or sometimes people yeah. say oh, I'm just going to do like a, I'm going to consult. Yeah. Don't use C words, yeah, but yeah, I'm going to yeah, consult yeah. and then that will be the co-creation bit. Yeah, yeah. But actually what does it mean? Yeah. Now you've said that, I'm going to go yeah. back to the iceberg and I'm going to look at it having through that lens that you've described yeah. uh, because I think it's, yeah. I think it's amazing. I, I've, I've done, uh, you know, what, what does the tip of the iceberg look like? when we focus on the conditions that we've got now in a lot of places yeah. in terms of tick box and, you know, uh, policy, policy uh, evidence, you know, all, all this kind of thing. I've not, I've not explained that at all well, but, um, you know, just if, if, if all you're doing is um, uh, keeping people safe, mm. um, you know, following the right the policies and the procedures and all those kind of well, things. What does the tip of the iceberg? Yeah. And that's production, not co-production. Yeah. So um, it's kind of... Yeah, oh, so, right. So you're yeah. looking at the landscape as is. Yeah. And then and how then do you need to change, change that to add the co-bit? How yeah. am I going to do this with yeah. 
other people yeah. rather yeah. than just see it as it is in a process that we follow yeah. and we tick boxes. Yeah, yeah. So what we do now is production. What we want to do is co-production. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you go back to Edgar Khan's kind of writings on this, you know, the, the grandfather of grandfather, can I say that? Is he that old? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably not to me. Uh, the, the you know one of the founders of co-production as we know it now, not not the original founder. He talks about um, you know the 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 economy of social care in 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 those terms, in the sense that what we've done over the years is we've created an economy for care that can only only be valued if it's produced or paid for. Okay. And actually, co-production is about how do we then begin to broaden that out and value what is natural, what is in those relationships, mm. you know, what people in communities already do, yeah. do for themselves. So, and then you come back to safeguarding. So actually, a lot of the things that, you know, we then apply safeguarding to, and I am not, you know, diminishing by any stretch of the imagination, the importance of safeguarding mm. in, in, you know, in a lot of situations. But actually, we often end up using it as an excuse right. because that care isn't paid for by the local authority or by whoever, mm. then it obviously isn't as good yeah. or of the same value right. as the natural care and support that people have around them. So, I think yeah. we could unpick that for days because uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. moving swiftly on. Yeah. You're talking yeah, about no. what kind of work is valued and the yeah, value work yeah, that is valued by done by women and yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely women and how we see yeah. it in society and yeah. Like, yeah. Um maybe another talk. <laughs> Get into it. I don't know if he's is he even still alive. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Don't, I don't edit know. that out please. No, I, don't. <laughs> no, I don't know. I've never heard of him. Edgar Khan. Yeah. Uh, so no more throwaway people is, oh, is his book. So if you see yes. the Blobs and Squares yes. video, yeah, narrated by the wonderful Brian Blessed. Right. Just listen to it. It's, <laughs> That's the one so, that Tina Coleman yes, um, yes. presented when I did the co-production workshop, which is how I even knew that the word yes. existed like so, two years ago. Blobs and Squares um, was an attempt to, a very, very good attempt, I will say, to um, create a you know something visual or film out of Edgar Khan's work oh, hence the title no more throwaway people okay because so that's his his whole thing is actually you know we, we treat people almost as disposable mm. commodities like widgets of yeah. making yeah, yeah. And, and actually it's so much more than that so, mm -hmm. yeah. fascinating book um, if you can get hold of a copy well, we're going to try and get links to it <laughs> somehow yeah. um, and put it in the description box of the video and the thing, I think you can. Um, so I think before we close off, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the work that you're doing with organisations and the National um, Co-Production Advisory. 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 <laughs> okay. yeah. I want to go on. It's um, a Yeah, but I want... To yeah, I think it'd be nice to hear about what you're doing and also the kind of project that they're doing because they're working with the sector. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, so think the combined experience of the National Co-Production Advisory Group, you know, people like the, the amazing Clinton Ferguson, Sam Percival, Isaac Samuels, uh, and, you know, a whole host of other people whose 
um, experience of health and social care is deeply personal. They're either carers or they have physical disability or autism. The, the whole kind of, you know, um, it crosses quite a lot of the different things around equalities and, and, and stuff as well. Um, there is no, um, you know, bit of work. There's no stone left, mm. uh, you know, unturned in terms of that kind of way of working. So we have, um, you know, and, and they're, they're colleagues. They're not people with lived experience who just come in and, you know, tell us their story and then uh, disappear off again. You know, they're, they're, they're people who have over the years learned a lot about some of the stuff that we've been talking about, what co-production actually really means yeah. and the whole relational element of it. And they can talk about it. So, you, you know, you, you saw Sally using the iceberg mm-hmm. um, analogy. Uh, that's the first time she's spoken to that particular slide herself in public life. But uh, that's brilliant because actually that just shows the the kind of, um, you know, way that we're trying to work in terms of sharing those experiences and, and skills. And I would say even more recently, the, the challenge was how do we get into that space personally where, you know, we're expecting the advisory group members to make themselves very vulnerable yeah. and talk about their own personal experiences in a way that that we don't often in those kind of forums and you know uh, public arenas. You know, we, we expect a lot of people, um, and then we don't give back. So that's part of the learning: is how do we um, rumble some of this out yeah. together um, and actually create a much stronger relationship between those two elements and continue to you know model even more potential for for how working in this way Mm. makes a difference Um, we i've done i've done some work with providers in in uh uh, dudley um kate kate sibthorpe from the advisory group and clinton have, have supported with that um the scope for you know people to um get hold of the materials and, and, and use them and, you know, just come back to us for tips and, you know, ideas and advice or just check in. And I wanted to move on to talking about um, be more pirate. Because I've seen something on YouTube where you talked about this concept yeah. of being more pirate and it's pretty much everything you're talking about, the robs, the use of the social care, just think about things differently, doing things differently, yeah. challenging. Is that, have I yes. a very... Brief yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple of years ago, uh, this book crossed my path. It's bright pink. It's called Be More Pirate. And it's one of those, you know, things that you um, you engage with. Um, and I, and I, I read, read this book and I just thought, everything I've done now in my whole life in terms of my work makes sense in a, in a not in a different way. I think in a, it, it kind of legitimised if you like, or um, helped me to accept that the way that I worked was was helpful and okay, although not everybody perceives it like not always, not everybody always perceives it like that. Yeah. Um, but in essence, um, you know, be more pirate draws its inspiration from um, specific time in pirate history. So we're talking golden age pirates. Um, these were people who were, you know completely naffed off with the establishment and the established way of doing things. So, uh, you know, the Navy, um, where a lot of these people worked beforehand, was was a shocking place to be. And the amount of exploitation and discrimination, and, you know, the way that people were, were treated um, by the establishment was quite shocking. 
So uh, a lot of these naval officers decided that they'd had enough and they were going to, you know, go pirate, if you like, and they were going to create a different way of doing things. They were going to rewrite, if you like, the social code or, mm-hmm. you know, do the things that, that made sense to them in order to challenge the establishment. Um, in fact, I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier today to say, you know, well, because Bristol's got pirate heritage. Yes. Um, yeah, learned that today. <laughs> and he was he was saying, yeah, but also there's a lot around, you know, slavery and, mm-hmm. and everything. And I said, yeah, but those Golden Age pirates were some of the people in the in, you know, very early early days of, you know, moving forward with slavery that were going and freeing some of those slaves. Mm-hmm. So what you what you would find is, you know, pirates like Black Caesar, who was a, a black man who had been a, a slave and had become then freed by pirates, went on to become a pirate captain himself. And it was the only place at that time in history where, you know, it didn't matter what what colour your skin was, whether you were male, female, your age, um, if you had the um, capacity and the skills and, you know, you were uh, understood what it meant to create the right conditions to bring about change, then you would be voted in to be you know, pirate captain. Mm-hmm. Um, pirate crews operated on the basis that they had a, a pirate captain and a quartermaster. These were, they were equal in status. They were voted in by the crew, so they didn't assume position of power. Um, and everybody on board a, a pirate ship had, had a vote, one man or woman, one vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, 200 years before, women got the right to vote, you know, in terms of uh, how, how we know it today. So it's literally so, about yeah. how people are coming out and creating change by yeah. going against the grain. Yeah. Although I would say piracy is maybe a bit extreme, but a lot of, I'm sure you've been told a lot of yeah. what you are trying yeah. to advocate for is just a little bit out there. Yeah. Um, so it's just being confident yeah. to say, actually, yeah. we need to create yeah. change here. It's, it's, it's going to look very different. So yeah, you know you're absolutely right, and you know even just one of the conversations we're having today around that about yeah, but you know surely that 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 there are um, you know bad pirates. Well, yeah, actually there were a lot of you know bad pirates if you want to <laughs> phrase it like that. Yeah. But actually, it's about who's who's in control, you know. Right. And you could talk about you know um, that the level of uh, exploitation that that the navy um, created in you know back in in that golden age time, you know, and you could say, well, they were, they're the wrong pirates to be in control. Mm-hmm. And actually what, what these, these were people who were disillusioned, you know, some were as young as 17, some were reni- retired mm-hmm. um, Navy uh, officers, you know, you've got your, your, your women, Anne Bonny, um, for example, who were also pirate captains. Um, and, but the, the whole kind of be more pirate thing is not, you know, go out there and be pirate, it's thinking about actually what can we challenge within the system, the way that we're doing things, what is it that we're doing that just doesn't make sense, you know, what are the rules that we follow, you know, um, real or perceived rules, and a lot of the rules we follow are often not even real rules, they're just the way that we've always done things, and then how do we break those rules, and and as Rob did, you know, so actually we're not going to do that anymore. We can do it like this, yeah. In, instead, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I want to talk a tiny little bit because we've only got a few minutes left um, about politics. So we both attended the APPG on adult social care. 
Perhaps when we put the adult in, because there was another one on social care, which is slightly different. Um, and it was a group talking about with politicians uh, and people giving uh, on a panel, talking about co-production, co-creation, what it means for them. So there were some carers there as well. And we wrote a blog about it. Um, well, co-produced care wrote a blog about it. So it's out there if you want to have a look. Uh, but what was interesting for me was some of the questions that came from the floor mm. and people who with lived experience um, were just talking about just the basic comment of we've been saying we need to include people that we need to have we need to they need to have a voice and uh, one person said we've been hearing about it for 40 years yes. and he seemed really really frustrated and I kind of felt his pain because then a few other people said the same thing um, I mean, why do you think it's so hard for it to go from a conversation to being a reality across the board? Is it just we have to expect, like, we have to expect that you're going to be doing the work that you're doing with different local authorities and people like you and the organisations you're working with are just going to be spreading the message and that takes time? Or is it something that needs to come from... If that bit needs to come from top down from politics to say we are just going to do this in a different way we're going to deliver social care we're going to talk about social care in an entirely different way and put the past ways of working behind us yeah. I, I it's it's a really um interesting um question and i felt it as well you know and i think that has been a deep frustration of mine and you know uh NCAD colleagues team up colleagues you know and are we just perpetuating the same conversation over and over again and actually I think to a certain extent we are um, and I, I, but I think what needs to change is not the conversation mm. but actually it's it's again comes back to looking at those conditions so we are we are still expecting the answer to those conversations to be in the policies and the procedures and the tick boxes and the how we monitor and measure and, and all those other things. Um, and that's where we're comfortable. So that's where we go always go back to. Mm. Okay, let's write another business case about it. You know, let's write another policy about it. Mm. You know, let's write a policy about personalization. <laughs> we need policies about personalization do we need before we can actually just get on and do it. And I think the response is um, you know, there's, there's some excellent work going on in Hammersmith and Fulham, for example. Um, not time to go into it now, but they're people that you might want to talk to. But I think the response to it is more, actually, what would happen if we, um, you know, gave people like the members of the, the, the advisory group um, more freedom to work within the system to actually influence um, the, the changes that need to happen but in order to do that how can we take the money out of the program management approaches that we do you know the, I saw somebody on social media getting really excited about Prince 2 training and I'm just thinking I've never done that I've, I've avoided it <laughs> like the play <laughs> for you you know never I just never appealed to me I never never really saw the sense in it but but we are still in that kind of mode of you know talking about it saying yeah yeah yeah, brilliant that's great we need to change things and then going back into trying to change things through the same lens mm. and, it, and it almost it's the filter and the lens that yeah. we're doing things through that 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 needs to shift mm. and yes i think there is an element of which that has to come from the top mm. but not that people have to do anything at the top 
in a sense, they need to get out of the way and allow people to um, work it out for themselves uh, in the way that we've been supporting, you know, local authorities like Dudley and Shropshire and um, Essex and, you know, other places to, to do. Um, just, just, just get out of the way. Yeah, out, out yes. And get out of the way. Yeah. Let people live life. Yeah. yeah. That is a great point to, uh, to end it on, I think. Yeah. I normally ask a question about politics in a totally different way, but that's great. <laughs> um, Sorry, yeah. Thank you so much, Kat. Um, all the stuff that Kat's been talking about is going to be on our the description box of the video uh, that you're watching, if you're watching it. Uh, otherwise, go on our website and you'll find everything that you need in terms of all the links, the books uh, and websites she's been talking about. So thank you so much for coming and talking with us on Co-Produce Care.